This is the Last Week Liquid Podcast. Welcome to the Last Week Liquid Podcast, a show dedicated to the world of drum and bass. Centered around weekly discussions with producers, DJs, label managers and event organizers, my aim with this podcast is to get inside the minds of some of the best creative talents in the space, deconstruct the complex world of music production, promotion, signing and DJing. My name is Simon and I produce drum and bass under the name Mill Street and today I am sitting with Jack Perry, also known as Echo Motion. Jack is a liquid drum and bass producer, label owner, podcast host and in this episode we discuss a wide variety of topics such as the importance of collaborations with other artists, how to use social media to your advantage without getting sucked in, the importance of artwork and should you be designing your own artwork when self-releasing, best practices when reaching out to labels, work-life balance and many more. Finally, thanks a lot for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. And we're on. Welcome, welcome everybody to the very first episode of the Last Week Liquid podcast. I'm sitting here today with Jack, also known as Echo Motion. Jack has been putting out some amazing tracks over the last few years on labels such as Glitch Audio, Calibrate, Celsius, Detached, and more recently, his latest double-sided single on Rhythm Records called Reserved and Low Tide, which came out on the 17th of August. Jack is also the label owner of Basics Recording and Calibrate, and is one of the hosts of the Thing Breaks podcast, a monthly podcast which, in their own words, is loosely based around drum and bass. And finally, on top of all of this, Jack somehow manages to find a time to be a full-time dad. Jack, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, <laughs> when, when you lay it all out like that, it sounds insane. But uh, yeah, yeah, not too bad. Well, first of all, congrats on your latest release on, on Rhythm Records. Uh, really awesome tunes. Um, mentioned it in the intro. I thought Reserved is definitely my favorite of the two tracks, like really super melodic, uh, perfect kind of liquid that I like to listen to. Were those tracks that you like wrote during lockdown or were they kind of sitting and you had them ready before lockdown? How did it all come together? Oh, so they they were written quite early on in the year, actually, and sort of just, just through the process of... Um, I had signed them to Rhythm, but I think um, quite possibly just before lockdown, actually. Um, I think Rhythm, as with many labels throughout the lockdown, started to receive a lot more demos. Mm. Um, we saw that definitely, like, as you say, because you've, you've got all these people that are now at home with all this time on their hands, yeah. you know, they're able to go mad with the production. I did it as well. Um, so I think a lot of labels really saw like a massive uptake in, in demos and so with that I think a lot of timetables and schedules got quite gridlocked and again like as did on basics um so they were actually written towards the start of the year actually yeah it was just timing that they happened to come out when mm -hmm. they did yeah so yeah you just mentioned there that labels are yeah probably receiving a lot more tracks is that something you saw mm -hmm. with um with, as I mentioned, you're, you manage uh, Basics and Calibrate. Is that something you saw as well with, with your own labels? Yeah, yeah, 100%. We've, we've um, pretty much filled up for the rest of the year now on Basics. We, we actually got to a point where I had to put a sort of almost um, a freeze on taking demos just so that we could allow our own artists to kind of finish up some projects they had on the go and not 
keep them waiting for you know the best part of a year essentially so yeah, yeah. we we saw it definitely so actually that's um that question that just came to mind now but um like the, the goal of this podcast is not like it's not meant for like netsky and metric and stuff like it's more aimed towards like sure. up and coming producers that are trying to figure out how how the scene works um probably make them understand that it's less uh less impenetrable than what they might think when they're like outside um sure yeah so so in that sense um with with basics for example you, you mentioned artists that you signed do you do you like actively search for artists and then uh offer them to like write tracks for you or is it only like finished demos that you're going to sign like wh what's kind of the process behind hmm. signing uh signing tracks and, and, and artists in general Yeah, so I mean, as as you say that, initially that was you know how we started off. We were having to go out and and sort of find people and that. And occasionally we we do now. At the moment, with sort of how much has been sent in, a lot of um, not necessarily the legwork, but you know, a lot of that is is almost done for us, where we're getting sent so much. And obviously, not everything we sign, maybe not even half of it, but there is a lot of good stuff in there. So that kind of eliminates the need to have to sort of go out and search for it. Um, with Calibrate being a lot newer, that's kind of still the process. We are actually still having to put the feelers out. And yeah. it, there's almost an element of of the artist potentially doing us a favor at the start until we're a bit bigger. Whereas Basics, obviously, we, you know, we have a much bigger platform, a much bigger audience. It's it's more in the traditional sense you know artists will send us music yeah and and we sort of take it from there but yeah it's it's almost it's almost sort of the life cycle of the label i suppose of, of almost building that that up from scratch so it's interesting to have two on the go at at different points if you know what i mean how long were you how long were you managing basics before you started calibrate and, and what was kind of the the driver behind that other name sure so um Basics was six years old this year. Um, Calibrate, we only started, I think the idea was there at the end of last year, um, going on into this year. So yeah, realistically, it's only actually about a year old. So there was quite a gap. The main the main reason um, was actually because with Basics, obviously we are a liquid label. We sort of bounce between some of the funky stuff and deep stuff, but generally we don't touch much of the... Uh, the darker side of drum and bass of that for, you know, if that's what you want to call it. Um, but we still got sent a lot of stuff. So, you know, in, in some ways you could look at it as though, come on guys, do your research. Like, but, but you know, the way I saw it, it was, we, we got sent a lot of good stuff over the years that I would have loved to have put out, but because it just didn't fit that niche, I wasn't able to. And that was kind of the driving factor behind Calibrate because it's, it allows us to actually put out some of that darker stuff now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the artists we've worked with on basics, I know I've either over the years moved over to sort of the darker, heavier side of drum and bass or do a bit on the side as well. So, it, you know, it allowed us to kind of bring some of that over. Yeah. Give them a bit more freedom almost, I suppose. Uh, so, so what would you typically do in back in those days when you didn't have Calibrate and you'd get those deeper, darker tracks? Would you like guide them to another label that might be better suited or do you kind of not have time to answer or like how, how did you manage it at that time yeah typically i would 
you know, where possible, I will try and advise perhaps a label that would be a better fit. Because it it's not a nice thing to have to say no to someone when actually what they've sent you is really, really good. Mm. It just doesn't quite fit. But, you know, it still happens. We still get sent some stuff that doesn't really fit either. And it's not it's not bad stuff. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just one of those things you have to deal with. But, yeah, I do like to try and, if I can, advise a couple other labels that might take it on and I know a few people have then gone on to sign to those labels and have thanked me so I mean that's that's always a nice feeling yeah so yeah it makes me think back to the so we were talking before we start to record about your things break things breaks uh podcast um and in the the last episode you you were talking about um people kind of sending you tracks and you can kind of see it's like a, a copy paste that they've probably sent to yeah. 12 labels at the same time and Uh, mm. I know uh, uh, K2T, Karen, also manages a label and he could kind of relate to that. So um, yeah. with, with that in mind, what's kind of the like tips you'd have for, let's say, let new producers reaching out to labels, like best, best practices, how to how to pitch yourself and a lot of, all that kind of stuff? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, for me personally, It it could be something as simple, and it's pretty, I probably said it on the podcast, but it's it's really something as simple. It's just a bit of meat, you know, a bit of substance to the email, just a little bit of backstory about perhaps yourself as a producer. Um, something I quite like is almost a little bit of backstory behind the tracks. You know, like we've we've had some. We put out an, an EP from Kai Concepts uh, a month or so ago, yeah. And when he'd sent those demos in, he'd sent quite a nice sort of backstory to the tracks you know um something along the lines of he likes to travel a lot normally and see different places and take inspiration from these different places but due to lockdown he's not been able to do that and so the ep was almost a homage to those and, and like even before i've listened to the tracks it just is it's really nice energy you get you get from that so yeah even even just a paragraph you don't have to write like a you know an essay or anything but it's always quite nice to actually hear the inspiration behind the tracks and not just here's the tracks oh you're gonna sign them you know <laughs> yeah um yeah just uh, something as simple as that and i know uh, curran's mentioned it before and it's sort of a pet peeve of his but when you when you receive a demo as well and you can quite see it, you're either bcc'd on Or you can quite clearly see that it's been forwarded from a you know a demo to yeah. you know I know as as well as the next guy that demos get rejected. I'm not expecting to be the sole person that your demo gets sent to, but it is nice to know at least you're the only one being considered at that time. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Yeah, so, for then, sure, yeah, yeah, just just small 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 details, but they, yeah, they can pay off. Yeah, yeah, that's actually something that um that was kind of new to me. So. I, I was mentioning to you, so I started producing this year. So a lot of this stuff is, is new to me and I'm learning as I mm. go along. But uh, um, for, when I had in mind of reaching out to labels, I was thinking, yeah, obviously I'm going to send it to 10 labels at the same time, kind of when you're mm. applying for a job and you apply for 10 jobs at the same time. That, that was kind of the reasoning right. I had in mind. Yeah. And then I was talking with um, uh, Human Nature, Andre. He's a... Right, yeah. Uh, He has a drum bass academy that I really recommend people to check out, which I'm part of. And so I was kind of asking him questions about how you pitch to labels, etc. And he said it's really super important to send your tracks only to one label and then wait for three weeks, four weeks. That's, that's kind of relative, but wait enough mm. time for them to come back. 
And if they don't come back after, say, three or four weeks, then move on to another label um, and, and try elsewhere. Yeah. Is that something that, that resonates with you? I think so, yeah. I think the hardest the hardest part of that is is the realization that there's going to be a lot of people that don't reply to you. And, you know, I, I still have that as an artist. There's still labels I send to and you just don't you, you don't get a response and and especially now with things like demo boxes where you just drag and drop your mp3 in put your socials and that you know you get a little disclaimer we can't reply to everyone like it's it is a hard pill to swallow that someone's potentially not even listened or not enjoyed enough to even just say sorry not for us and it's it, it is hard but yeah you know I, I do think it's good advice mm -hmm. I think even if you've not necessarily written, you know, the single or the EP with that particular label in mind for the release, it's still nice to know that at that point in time, you know, you've kind of, you want it released there. And I think that demonstrates that you want it released yeah. there. There's nothing worse than, you know, showing interest in a single and then, you know, getting a reply back, oh, actually this other label shown interest. So I'm going to wait and see what happens there. And because I've had that and it's, it's almost like, how much, you know, do, do you, okay, so how much do you actually respect this, you know, us and want to work with us if, even if it's not the case, that's how it comes across, you know, so it's, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Does that happen often? Because that sounds like a very strange way to deal with people saying, yeah, I know I've sent you mm. this, but I'm actually waiting on this bigger label. They might say yes, but if they say yeah. no, let's, let's do it together. Like, who says that? <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Precisely, yeah, and that's that's the mentality that sort of I'm sitting there, you know, and it's yeah, it's not great, especially when you know it's even from you know a lot of people don't think of it from the labels side, but for me, if I've been sent something and it's really great and I want to take it on and it's you know it's struck a chord with me, and then all of a sudden, oh, actually, um, just hang fire because you know, yeah, it's not, it's it's not great. Um, thankfully, it's not common, but it has happened. I'd say, you know a handful of times maybe yeah and uh yeah so maybe yeah maybe moving back from uh from label stuff and uh as i mentioned in the intro so you just uh released a few weeks back your double-sided single with rhythm records which yes. uh i believe was one of your first uh solo productions if if i'm correct in terms of like actual releases. actually my yeah no I was, I was actually my first um like complete solo body of work I've had sort of solo tracks out on, on labels, but yeah, actually as a whole body of work, um, that was my first solo release. Everything else had been like collaborations or, or remixes. So. So, so, so how was that, how was that process like doing it all yourself? And was it very, obviously it's different from a collaboration, but, uh, like how, how was it different for you writing the tracks and all that? Um, I, as a, as an artist, even, even, um, sort of playing instruments years ago in bands and stuff, like, I've always loved like bouncing off the energy of other of other musicians and uh, even sometimes just someone being in the room and and catching that vibe so it, it's definitely different um personally i'm quite critical with my own productions you know i've i've got i've had issues in the past being a bit too much of a perfectionist to the point where i've just scrapped stuff that potentially was really good and just needed mm. the you know the smallest of tweaks and that so I do notice when I work on stuff on my own, I tend to spend maybe a bit too much time on details and that. But I, I have got a lot better with it over the years. The the one the one thing I will say about 
you know, releasing your own material on that and, and especially seeing the reaction that it got is that it's a, it's so much more rewarding mm. to know that that was you and you've not been influenced or pushed in any, like that was, you know, that was all you yeah, yeah, yeah. and you've done that and it's, it's done well. It's a great, it is a great feeling. But so, so how was the, how was the reception actually? Yeah. It, as far as I'm concerned, it was, it was brilliant. I couldn't have asked for, for much better. You know, I've released stuff in the past, as you say, like collaborations and whatnot that have again, got amazing reach and great reception yeah. and that, but I've had people sort of message me personally just to let me know, you know, they're really that's touched sick. by the vibe and that. And that's, that's an, yeah, that's an, as a musician, you can't ask for more than that. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, like on a smaller scale, obviously, but I signed my first two tracks on, uh, Sunny Moves. Uh, it was late. Oh, late, nice. Late. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, man. It was in late July. Um, and honestly, that was like an amazing feeling. Like just having mm. having a label want to like want to pull up, put out your own tracks and then yeah. having them being out there for people to listen to it's a yeah it's an amazing feeling I think I'm gonna like I'm gonna be chasing that feeling again and again and again with yeah, yeah. other tracks and other labels <laughs> um, but but so yeah I was uh, I w so one thing that really surprised me when I, I, I was getting more into production and discovering labels etc and started following artists is the amount of collaborations that are in drum and bass. So like, I'm, I'm no expert in other styles of other genres of electronic music, but I feel it happens a lot more in drum and bass <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you have any like idea why that is? Or like, I know you collaborated with Henry, for example, and I mm. feel like he only does collabs, for example, there's very few tracks of him that are like just him. Um, yeah. So I'm just wondering, like from your point of view, why do you think that is? Is it specific to drum and bass or not? And... Um, do you know, it, it was something I, I've been sort of thinking about myself, actually, because um, I listened to, I, I quite like, I got into like synthwave music earlier in the year, almost just like a, as a little break from drum and bass to listen to someone else and, and just get some inspiration. But I've always liked 80s music yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. kind of a throwback. And I was thinking that about how I rarely see remixes or collaborations in that style of music um i think with drum and bass i think it's a big i think it's accessibility because even if you look sort of years back when i was first sort of getting into it there was collaborations but no way near the scale that there is now and i think a, a big part of that is that when when they happened years ago a lot of that was where you know the artists were in the studio together yeah and so actually sat and wrote the song together where i think with everything we have now with DAWs and even, you know, I use FL Studio, but I can send, I can bounce stems out, chuck them to someone who uses Ableton and they can work on it seamlessly. It's the same track. Yeah. So I, th I think part of it's accessibility. I think for me personally, like on a personal level, when I collaborate with artists, it allows me to, to work a lot quicker. And sort of, especially with Henry, as you mentioned, you know, that, that was a whole four track EP. And with that, you know, I could start one track, send that over to him, and then he sends me an idea that he started, and then there's two tracks on the go, but I'm only working on one, and 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 also, you know, there's stuff there that you can vibe with in, in the way that a remix, you know, you've kind of got stuff laid yeah. out, and you can already hear what you want to do. So I think, for, for me, that's why it just allows me to to work a lot more quicker and creatively at that, that quicker pace as well, so... 
So I think those were the two most recent EPs. The one you did with Joshua was uh, uh, quite recent, mm-hmm. and then the one with uh, with Henry just before then. Yeah. Um, was the process any different between those two collabs, or was it relatively similar? Like, how did it work? Um, yeah, and it, it was relatively similar, to be honest. Um, with Henry, it was very, very sort of split down the middle. So I think he started two of the tracks. I started two of the tracks and then we kind of finished each other's sketches essentially. So it was really even and sort of balanced with the Joshua EP. Three of the tracks were actually sketches um, that he'd started off like um, piano bits and whatnot that he'd written. And then I kind of jumped on and took it from there. And it was just one track that I'd started and and he jumped on. So there is slight differences. I mean, generally speaking, I'm I'm very much a sample guy when I write music. I like to sample records and, and really mess about with, with sample packs and resample. So when I work with someone, I, I do much prefer to be the second guy because it's almost like someone's handed me like all of this, so much material that I can work with. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think it really, it depends on the other artist, of course, because if they're the same, yeah, you know, that could, could become an issue, but um i think it, another factor is sort of how much they're happy with me changing sometimes it's not very often i would get a sketch and completely flip it but there there has been occasions i've done it where i've heard potentially another route that i'd go down with it and i've thought let's give it yeah. a go but like thankfully they have liked it i've not had anyone come back yet and say no no like put it back <laughs> so yeah, and I mean, anyway, worst case, you have your backup and you can just like give it a try. And if they don't like it, you come back to what you had previously and, and work from there, I guess. Yeah. So so in terms of like collabs, because um, again, this being for like up and coming artists that are kind of sure. uh, getting into the scene. So would you kind of reach out to people directly or do they reach out to you? Like, how do you like initiate a, a collab usually? It's it's it really is like a combination of both. I think as as I've released more material, of it naturally, people have sort of come to me and said, "Do you want to work on something?" Um, yeah, it's it's an odd one. I mean, I I wouldn't ask someone to work on something with me unless I thought it could work. Yeah, and I'm not saying that you know people do just jump on tracks together for the sake of it, but I'm sure it, it does happen. And, you know, and, and in some cases, there's probably an element of smaller guys wanting to jump on tracks with bigger guys to, but that's, you know, it's not always a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been me at, at one point. My, for the track that really sort of lifted me up a little bit and helped me get onto other labels was a collaboration with Dan Guidance. Yeah, yeah. And that got on, um, well, it was two, two collaborations with Dan and that got onto Celsius. And that really sort of lifted my profile. I'd not released much before then. And that really sort of lifted me up. And then from there, that just sort of happened by chance because I knew Dan sort of through other avenues and basics and whatnot. Yeah. And it, it kind of just came together. It was like a passing comment. Like, oh, we should, yeah, we should work on something. That's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, and then it happened. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, realistically in that sense, he was, you know, a guy with sort of prestige and reputation yeah, and sure. decided that he'd just, you know, sod it, let's give jack a chance and it and it worked so do you have any like uh be- best practices when when doing collabs in terms of uh 
uh, like do you do you actually get on uh, a live stream not a live stream do you get on live together and work out a track together or do you only work with stems like how do you generally work it out um typ typically it's stems yeah more more so because of my sort of availability as an artist i guess and and again it's a similar thing with with dan he's very much a family man and with lockdown you know everyone being in his sort of what would have been his music time has now kind of moved on to his evenings and it's the same thing with me you know so we're in quite a small place here i can't really set up late at night in the living room blasting tunes and sitting on chat to people so it's 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 very much a way of fact to sort of adjust to it um But yet, like as I said earlier, I'm very much a sample guy, so I actually quite like working with stems. I like having things sort of bounced over in audio. Um, but yeah, it just, it just completely depends. I have done some bits on on like a live communication before. Um, but yeah, it just depends. I think for me personally, that just adds an element of pressure to it. Even if you're really good friends with a guy, it's still eyes on you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas normally. I'm by myself, headphones on, head down in the corner, you know, I can, if something doesn't work, delete it out. But I feel like if someone's watching you, it can almost add, add that element of yeah, pressure. Yeah, for sure. I can see it. Yeah, it's, I guess it's, I don't know if it's unique to like electronic music, just because it's so much based on samples and re reworking samples. If you're in a live band, so I believe like you're a bassist, bass player, uh, uh yeah. i used to play guitar in, in a few bands and there's i guess it's very different because you can just get in a room and just mess around and kind of play together mm -hmm. and then something kind of like a riff appears and then you kind of work on that yeah but it must be very different when you're doing electronic music because it's sample based and and all of that it's mm -hmm. you don't get the same the same live creation if that mm -hmm. makes sense <laughs> yeah that's yeah no that is a good that is a good point actually it, it's sort of It makes me think because with, like you say, with, with an instrument, you could sit there for hours and not really come away with anything. And that's, that's fine. That's, you know, that's accepted. I could sit there with a bass and just stick a drum track on and jam for however many hours. And that's fine if I've not written anything, but with the electronic stuff, it does almost feel like everything you do has to sort of mean something. Does, does that make like sense? Have a purpose. There's almost this, exactly, yeah. It's almost like if you sat there in the DAW for two hours and haven't come out with at least a sketch, something's gone wrong. <laughs> and it's really weird yeah. when you, yeah, when you sit those side by side, that's, yeah, that's quite strange, but. So you mentioned a few times that you're actually very much a sample guy, but from what I heard, especially in your last uh, Think Breaks podcast, that you were trying to incorporate more live instruments even live automations when even if it's just like a filter or something try to like do it live with mm. a knob um so what was kind of i guess your motivation behind live instruments and is it something you've managed to do already in in some of your productions um it's it's difficult because i think part of the reason why i like samples or at least like sampling records not necessarily just cut and paste sample pack um is because you're not just sampling the melody, you're sampling the, you know, the instrument, you're sort of the tone of the instrument, the room it was recorded in, the, you know, all the work that went in engineering it. It's a whole story almost that, that you are sampling. And I quite like, I've always, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I've always been a fan of, of you know, live sounding stuff in electronic music because I think it's very, very easy to, to end up sounding too blocky and digital, especially with 
DJ music like drum and bass because you're already almost tied into a structure. For sure, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's probably the motivation behind it. I've always, every track I've done has had some element of, you know, live feel to it, whether it is just automation or um, a few tracks of mine or a little while ago, I, I just sat and recorded a load of harmonic pinches okay. um, from my acoustic guitar and... and just process them so like time stretch soak them in reverb and whatnot and i just have those in a little folder now Mm. and they work really nicely as sort of transition stuff so i always try to have at least like something small in there but i think what i was getting at was really sort of almost trying to take it to the next level and write you know complete melodies and things like that um just really have like a live feel to it. I think I'm always going to sample drum breaks because I just think that is my approach and I just love the sound. I don't see any reason to change that other to, other than to advance it and, you know, and, and whatnot. But I, yeah, I just, I would like to, and, and that's the point I made on the, on the podcast as well. You know, I've got these instruments laying around and I just, I, you know, I rack my brain every time I mention it. Like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got, electric guitar acoustic guitar bass guitar i've got these things sit around and they're like oh did you ever use them like, nope <laughs> no <laughs> yeah i think one uh I, I, at least for me a big part of it is just laziness because w- yeah, when, yeah, when yeah. you have instruments it's like ah oh, so i need to go and get my mic and set it up on the stand and then plug it in hmm. and I'll have to do some noise cancelling, whatever, all everything that goes into yeah, actually recording yeah. a live instrument. Or I could go to Splice, type guitar and find something. <laughs> so that's kind of the the dilemma I go through sometimes. Even like for vocals, I think you can, even if you're not a good singer, you can still record some kind of vocals and transform them into pads or whatever. And it, yeah, and it yeah. would give that more... I guess, natural, authentic feel to it. But I know at least in my case, it's definitely laziness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there, there is that. There is that element of, of the laziness as well. It's, it's, it's definitely hard for, I mean, I don't, I don't know what your, your usual setup's like, but mine's quite small and minimalist and it's, I'm pretty much tucked into a corner. So even aside from just having to work quickly, there is also that element of I'm quite limited with what I can I can do, which in some ways is an inspiration. But when it comes to to things like that, like having to set microphones up and DI and 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 then there's you've got latency as well. It is, yeah, there is definitely potentially a laziness thing, but also it's you know it's a lot a lot of work for something that potentially someone has already done for you in a sample pack. So yeah, there is that element. But um, okay, so maybe moving away from from music per se for a second so as i mentioned in the intro your producer you manage your label you have your podcast you're a dad <laughs> so the first <laughs> yeah. question i actually wanted to ask you is like how do you manage your time between all those different roles mm-hmm. are you like a very structured person in terms of like okay thursdays basics day i listen to demos and fridays or is it more kind of all over the place and you manage to do it like what's kind of your process to organize your your time um naturally i'm kind of like an organized chaos sort of person you know like obviously with all those things going on that kind of speaks for itself but i've i have kind of had to put myself into a more sort of into a regime almost it's not so much set days of like basics and that it's for me it's more like a um a priority system i suppose so music normally takes 
the back seat. Um, and so, as I mentioned earlier, you know, that's kind of why I've almost had to adjust my workflow to that. I have, I have, I have to work very quickly with music now. And that's almost, you know, become part of my approach is that I like to get things done quick. Even when I have time now, I will do things very quickly and, and put steps in place to make sure I can. Um, generally speaking, yeah, the labels kind of take precedent as they should, you know, that's other people's music. And that is my main sort of endeavor, those labels. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, they, any, anything I need to do for those is I'll have notifications set up on my phone and I've got calendars synced everywhere, even at work. So I, I know when I've got something coming up, um, the good thing with the labels is that generally most of it has to be done in advance and what doesn't have to be done in advance you, you can do in advance things like social posts like we have apps now that you can load all your social accounts yeah. into one and pre-schedule posts from there so that obviously that's a godsend um so yeah with those things i tend to try and get as far ahead of myself as possible um and that just allows it to sort of not run itself but act a lot more smoothly and I can do more of the communicative stuff in, in the meantime, like emails and whatnot yeah. seamlessly while the business is posting and, and getting, and things like premiere uploads and, and mm. you know, they, they really help as well outside just reach because that's someone almost taking yeah. some of that workload off you in, in a way. So, so, so actually like when you, when you have a, like a day or an afternoon set for producing, um, Does it happen that like you're not as productive as you could have been? And then how do you deal with it? Because I know for me, it's been a big, a big personal issue of, for example, I said, okay, Saturday, I'm going to produce all day and that's my day and I'm going to make the most out of it. And then come Saturday, right. it's like six in the evening and I don't really have anything to show for it. And then I'm kind of battling mm -hmm. that frustration and it's still something i'm learning to deal with but it's i'm wondering if it's something you've, yeah. you've also faced and maybe how do you deal with those kind of those kind of down days yeah yeah it definitely has been in the past um nowadays i tend to as i say like i i tend to have a more structured approach so for me if it was i knew i had a day coming up where i was going to work on music it wouldn't be just i'm going to work on something it would be more that i would have notes i would probably know what tracks I'm going to work on. If I wanted to start something new, I would almost have an idea in mind of how that was going to go. Um, one one thing that I do is, and I'm, I'm sure everyone does this, but when you work on a track and you've got a, a sketch or whatever, you bounce it out, private SoundCloud or Dropbox, wherever you listen to it. Um, but I always keep like a, a pack of sort of small notes with me. I tend to do it at, at work um, either on my lunch break or wherever, I'll sit there and listen to stuff that I've been working on and make notes about structure and mix down and this, that. So then I know next time I, I have an opportunity to sit and work on music. I've already got my notes there. I can't get distracted because, yeah, I've, I've definitely been in that position where I think, well, I'm going to write something new today. And then, yeah, two hours later, I'm still mucking about with Massive or like a, a drum break, so... So, so something you mentioned on on the latest uh, on your podcast, uh, the latest one was that um, you tend to, uh, when you finish a track, you you'll export, let's say the entire drums. I don't know, maybe you do that with other musical instruments as well. Yeah. And that kind of 
speeds up yeah. your process mm. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, and that's something I'd encourage everyone to do as well. It's it's for so many reasons. So, like I say, I I like to work quite quickly. So, I wouldn't do it with everything um, because you can you can run, or even if you do, you know, there has to be a bit of mindfulness because you can risk recycling the same stuff and sounding the same. But I think in that same respect, you know, to counter that, it really can add to your consistency as an artist to have certain go-to sounds and that. But um, it, it almost plays back into to what I was saying about having to work quickly. So one way that I do that is that when generally when I start my tracks, I'll start with sort of samples and music and or I'll try and make a soundscape first and then and then add the drums and then not necessarily every time, but that's my general approach. Um, so one thing that I'll do is every track that I finish that I'm really happy with, I'll just export out like a 16 bar loop of those mm. drums completely intact. Um, and then sort of drag and drop just to see what works. So I can, you know, if I've got like a more Amony break or a more tight knit, um, sort of transient break, I'll just drag in different breaks and see what's, what works well with the music. And then I'll mm. sort of start from scratch and layer up. So yeah. what I know is going to work in advance almost It's yeah, it's, it's really to save time, but uh, yeah, it definitely helps with consistency. Things like just like splash layers and symbols and things like that. You, you know, if you use them, if it works really well once, there's no reason why you can't use it again. So. Yeah. I think I have a pretty similar approach in terms of, uh, especially drums. Drums is, mm. I don't know if everybody's like this. I tend to do them last. So I'll do, for example, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just load like a drum break, either like a, a full drum break that's already done or something I've exported from a previous project and just stick it in so I can start working on the actual musical elements uh, just, right, so I, okay, ju yeah. just so I can get the track going forward and not get stuck into like uh, hats patterns and, and stuff. And once I have kind of the, the main ideas laid down, then I'll go back to the drums and choose my kick and mm. snare. And I don't know, that's what's worked for me uh so far yeah yeah no, it's interesting <laughs> it's funny uh, when we were chatting before we when we were setting up this interview and and you were saying it's it, you were really interested in how everybody has like a different process and different ways of in the end kind of achieving the the same goal it's something i find really interesting yeah in yeah. Music. yeah yeah no I'm, I'm the same that's one one subject that really fascinates me especially if i'm having a bit of a rough like a rough day and something just isn't quite working, it really sort of ticked my mind to think, you know, how how does this guy do it? How does this? And I suppose in a way that's, you know, what you're trying to achieve with this, with this podcast, which is awesome. You know, I, I, I the, the main one for me, the real sort of thing that gets me is how people approach starting a track, like completely just even mindset before going into it. I like to know exactly, especially if I hear something and it just blows me away. I, I love to to know like the sort of how did you like how yeah where did it start because just everything is so good yeah you for know sure. you know what I mean like it really just it really grips me so are there any any tracks recently where you you kind of thought that that you heard and you thought well how did this guy do this um, putting you on the spot here yeah <laughs> as does Damien's job normally this is what he does on our show. Um, 
perhaps not particular tracks, but there's there's definitely producers that do it. Um, although actually, the, then there's a new um, faction EP on Metalheads, yeah, yeah, which is really good. And I always, I think more so when people with its music that isn't my natural go-to. I I tend to write quite rolling, sort of liquid, chilled, melodic sort of stuff. So when I hear stuff that isn't how I would approach a track, I really want to know the thought process behind. And I'm sure they're probably the same with the style, you know, that we kind of make. They're probably like, oh, it'd be interesting to know how they... But yeah, I just, I'd, I'd love to know sort of where those tracks got started to end up at, at that point. But yeah, that EP is really good. Like production-wise, that's really, really good. So He's awesome. I haven't heard his his latest one, but I I, I did a review for, uh, for the previous one. Uh, I forget the name now. There was it was kind of his own style, kind of darker drum and bass. But then he had this kind of uh, he had this interlude, which which was really just a, a liquid track. I think it was called Cherished mm. Ones, uh, which was just amazing. <laughs> yeah, and that was yeah. that was the kind of track I was listening to. Um, I think he actually mentioned it was the first track where he he actually played piano himself. Uh, oh, okay, and the piano really stands out. It's like this minor minor track and then it kind of moves into major i don't know just really amazing mm. and it's, it's the kind of track you just want to be able to sit down with him and just chat like yeah okay, how do you start it how do you make it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's exactly it yeah and that's why i think you know stuff podcasts like this and and interviews and whatnot i think they're so important in in sort of enriching the scene almost because i know for a lot of people they'll hear a song they like the song they buy the song and that's it there's no um, so I don't know if it's like a where I write it. I like to know the ins and outs of it and that. But I've I've always kind of been like that. Even before I was making music, I I've always wanted to know when it comes to things like music and and even art design and stuff. When something is so intricate, it, I really just just want to get inside you know the artist's head and 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 see how did that come to be you know. Not even, not even to replicate it. It's purely just out of just out of interest. Yeah. yeah. But um, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I think that was one of the, at least for me, one of the motivations behind starting this podcast was hmm. trying to get in in the mind of other producers, DJs, etc., and kind hmm. of just understand what their process is, so that other people might learn from them. Because it's 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 a, it's just a win-win situation in, in my mind there's yeah. no like okay this is like my technique and i'm not sharing it i don't think that's the mindset <laughs> of of anybody in the scene so <laughs> um but yeah so maybe moving from from music um i want to throw a like one line question to you and and, and see how you react to it but uh, okay i i saw i saw on twitter uh on twitter the other day uh el el hornet from from pendulum yeah he tweeted uh the artwork is as important as the music. Just want to get your cold reaction on that one. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I definitely think so. I mean, in in today's sort of climate as well, there is so much music. There's so much music. You know, I think um, I update like a Spotify playlist every week. I'm sure you do as well. Um, and so obviously, when I'm looking through music, there's just so much, and a lot of it's good. You know, obviously, there's a lot of it that's not for me. But just in general, as a, as a blanket statement, there's so much music coming out all the time. And definitely for me, on a personal level, one thing that will make me go out of my way to listen to something from an artist or a label I don't recognise is the artwork. And mm. I, I'm sure there's other people like that, but for me, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a sort of divisive factor. 
because normally I would just sort of, knowing that I've got so much to listen to, potentially just scroll past something that is really good because I've not heard of it or, you know, it's, it's, and that is part of the scene. You know, we are conditioned to think that if something's on a bigger label, it's better. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my personal take on it from a label point of view. I think, I definitely think it's important because it plays into the branding and this is actually something that I've been moving more toward with basics in that not necessarily having a complete uniform artwork where it all looks the same and only represents the label. But I I have sort of realized recently that it's really key to have a set something on each piece of artwork that really not necessarily sets you apart, but actually makes you memorable. Or even just from the, the point of view that, again, if you're scrolling down, you know, Juno or, or anything really, and you see that artwork square before even listening, you're like, ah, oh, that's, that's mm-hmm. basics. And I, I think yeah. that's really important. That's something that re- realistically I I probably should have embraced earlier. But um, yeah. yeah, I think those that definitely understood that was, were focused in Celsius with just yes. a giant logo in front. They've, they've, from what I've seen, they've been shifting away slightly from that now yeah. with more recent, uh, more recent artwork. But yeah, you, you can definitely recognize it with the big logo in front. Another label which uh, has kind of their unique style is... Uh, um, not sure how you pronounce it, Eloisia. Uh, they're, oh, or Eloisa. Yes, yeah. They, they've put out a, an EP by Bungle. I think that was their latest release. That's it, yeah. And and they, they also have a very distinctive artwork that's hmm. kind of, uh, I don't know how you'd say, like not sci-fi, but cartoonish yeah, sci-fi yeah. type of artwork. And it's very distinctive as well. And you can, I, I when you see one, you can say, okay, that's one of their... Hmm their releases yeah i think that's especially important as well from a label point of view i think that's especially important if you are a newer label because it is you could have the most talented artists in the world you could you could be releasing just pure gold standard drum and bass you know but if you are completely starting from scratch with no connections it is so so hard to just get people to take that chance and listen listen to your music and i think so as as a newer label coming up um that's just so important to have something that potentially grabs the I mean that's it's almost what I said earlier but yeah it's just I think especially as a newer label once you're bigger and you're more established then you know you have your fan base and there's word of mouth and whatnot but yeah especially in those first stages it's mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we tried to do we tried to go for more of like an album approach and allow each piece of art to really tie into the story of the music and so we are we are still doing that now. We're just yeah. implementing more of a sort of almost watermark on ours to kind of get the best of both. But yeah. yeah. Mm. So then something I'm wondering is for again up and coming artists that probably are not signing not not signing yet yeah. to labels, but just releasing tracks themselves on on SoundCloud or whatever. I've heard a lot of like diverging opinions. Some people say, "Oh, you should do your artwork yourself. That's right. very important, so you can kind of convey your own vision." And at the same time, my personally, my mindset is more of we each have our own uh, talents, let's yeah. say, or our own uh, specialties, and we should focus on those. And me, I know, like, uh, uh, graphic design is not one of them. I have no idea how to do mm-hmm. any of this stuff, so I just don't do it. So I wonder, wh- like, where, where you stand on that kind of, uh, on that fence and what you would maybe recommend to, to new producers. I, to be honest, I, I I do agree with your approach because I think where do you where do you draw the line? 
you know, if one person's saying, oh, you should, you know, you've written the music, you should do your own artwork, then where does that stop? Oh, you should do your own mastering. Oh, you should just release it. Yourself. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But no, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree. If you've got, if your strength is writing music and you're not necessarily interested in graphic design or have any, any, not even talent there, just ability there, realistically, should you have to learn that to be able to promote music? So yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I don't think realistically it's that important who designs it. If you're good at, you're good at that and you can put out a really nice piece of artwork, sure, go for it. Yeah. But if you're not and you'd rather spend 10, 20 quid getting someone else to do a good job of it, then yeah, go for it. But I do think in either sense that it is important um, not to necessarily have a piece of art that blows you away, you know, like a commissioned piece of art or even if you have a friend that's that's quite good at it, it's, it is good to have that visual representation for for you know for all the reasons that i just listed with with the labels i think it's similar with with an artist yeah if everything needs to be and it sounds bad but you know if you're just starting out and you really want to make something for yourself and you want to you want to get somewhere it's important to know that everything you've got going on is eye-catching or you know it doesn't have to be mind-blowing or completely stand out from the crowd but at least be professionally consistent to stand up with the other stuff because you don't necessarily have to stand head and shoulders above everyone else doing the same thing. But if your standard isn't to what everyone else is, it's more noticeable than, you know, realistically if you're blending in. So yeah, there's kind of like a, like a minimum requirement to at least reach. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you have something even better, you, you can do mm. it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, again, like me personally, I, do, I don't do any of my artwork, but I get my, one of my good friends, uh, Jim, shout out Jim, actually. He does all of my, like, self-released uh, yeah. stuff. Uh, and he's, he's really good with that. So I think, I mean, from my, again, point of view would be for beginner producers that are, that don't have the skills of graphic design is to kind of reach out to your network and contacts, et cetera, and see who can help out mm, for, yeah. for this kind of stuff. I think is really important. Yeah. What, um, what do you think about, um, press shots almost like, so I'll, I'll just, I'll give a bit of background, um, because I've never really had any <clears throat> professionally done, um, because it's just not something I've ever ever considered really you know I started making my music I did a couple of freebies and I've just kind of ended up working my way around a few labels and, and really sort of pushing myself through that rather than the, the self-release approach yeah. um but with the the single on rhythm they asked me for a professional press shot <laughs> and obviously I had sort of came unstuck in the end I I did I just um asked a friend who had a fairly good camera to take a decent picture but it was really like rushed and last minute and obviously in lockdown there's no studios open or anything and they kind of gave me the advice that like going forward it really it is really worthwhile to spend that money and get one done but like, mm. obviously I still haven't so I was just curious to get like another opinion on that yeah uh for me it's kind of the same as you I don't have any right. <laughs> I don't have any uh press shots what i'm actually using now on my like socials and uh what i sent to sunny moves for the promotion of my single uh it's actually a picture that got taken when i was i was doing a concert back in in my home country of belgium um and i was playing piano 
on a, for the for that concert, mm. and there was a professional uh, photograph- photographer there that took some pictures of us. Yeah. And then I, I just ended up using that picture yeah. for, for everything now. And that's how, kind of how it ended up. Um, but I think it's definitely worth it uh, if you can spare the if you can spare the money or if you know somebody who can do something relatively professional mm. looking. I think it, in my opinion, it gives that extra credibility if you're pitching to if you're pitching to to labels and like the your profile picture on SoundCloud is more mm. professional looking and not just you like with your webcam or whatever. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah i think i don't know every little bit helps i think so yeah 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 i just i think it's interesting because when i was first getting into drum and bass this was probably around 11 years ago now and it was quite common for me to not have any clue sort of what my favorite artists looked like this you know facebook was only just sort of a thing then and everyone had logos. It was very much like a logo. I think in electronic music in general, it was like that back then. Everything was logos. And so I had no idea, you know, what, like what Netsky looked like or, yeah. or random movement or any of these guys. I just knew the music. So I just, I find it strange how that sort of evolved. I think now it maybe it's with, with things like this, everything's a lot more personal now. And, and like you say, it's, it's becoming more the root of press shots. You go on SoundCloud and there's like, everyone's got the same moody black and white picture with the hood up in the alley. Yeah. Yeah. So L- looking to the left or something. <laughs> I see. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. it, it might have to do with just social media in general as well. That mm. so, so coming back to, to human nature and, and the, the classes I follow with him, uh, a big part of those classes is also kind of um, artist management and like self-marketing and how do you promote okay. yourself? It's not just like, uh, production and how to tweak massive and serum and that kind of stuff it's yeah it's okay. a bit broader so it's really interesting and one thing he said is mm. that even if you're not and i mean everybody can agree or disagree with this but uh, even if you're not the kind of social media type it's kind of important to be on social media just to kind of show the yeah. human the human aspect behind the artist so even if you're not like, and again, you don't have to show a picture of your dinner every evening, but it's still kind of important to show the behind the scenes because that's how artists, uh, sorry, that's how fans will then actually connect with you as a person and feel mm. like they know you and then listen to your music and all that kind of like virtuous cycle. So it's, I, I know it's a divisive topic, um, like social mm. media and how much you should be on them, uh, how much you should use them, etc. But I don't know. That's kind of where I stand now. I don't know if you kind of agree with that or not. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do agree. I do think it's important to to be to be a part of that. Especially, I think it's become not necessarily a demand, but it has become like a normal thing now that because it more producers than than not are doing that. You know, they are on there. They have this presence. They're on Instagram. They're doing stories every day and whatnot. It it has become the norm. And so I'm not saying you can't be successful without that, but it is definitely worthwhile. Mm. But then I suppose there is pros and cons of that in itself anyway. Again, like, you know, going back, I, you know, I know times change, but going back, that, that just wasn't the case years ago. And then when you got something like an interview on, you know, any particular website or even if a, a drum and bass artist was, was interviewed on radio one late at night or something it was it was almost quite special and so you, everyone went there because you wanted to know but i think now that's so accessible mm. so i think some mystery is good 
Um, but I do also think with the way the scene is, it's, you know, you do kind of have to follow that trend now. So it's, again, it's striking that balance between, okay, sharing, but not oversharing. I know there's some artists yeah. that, I, in my mind at least, definitely do overshare. And then it's finally that balance, again, for myself, when I share something, not to be checking every five minutes afterwards to see how it did. Yeah. Are people yeah. commenting? Are people liking? Whatever. That's something I still really struggle with <laughs> to kind of, mm. okay, yeah, I'm going to yeah, share yeah. this, but then not check. It's something I, I really struggle with. <laughs> but yeah, okay, cool. So we're coming up to one hour already. It's crazy. Um, so slowly going to wrap things up here. I don't know if there's anything you want to... Uh, you want to promote from a basics perspective what's coming up for Echo Motion? Do you have any releases upcoming that you can maybe talk about or, or not or anything upcoming that you, you yeah, want to Yeah, in all fairness, I've not been told that I can't talk about anything, so it should be okay. Um, I have, I've got an EP with Dan Guidance um, that likely won't be coming out for a few months, potentially next year. Um, that will be on Four Corners Music, which is Malinky's label. Um, and other than that, just I've got random uh, tracks sort of dotted around. I've signed a track recently um, to Flight Pattern, Congrats. which is Random Movements label. Thank you. Which I'm just absolutely over the moon about. You know, that he's one producer that sort of almost single-handedly pulled me over to the liquid side from when I was first discovering drum and bass. It was the heaviest stuff. So to be able to like release that, yeah, it's just incredible. But that's, you know, nothing's really sort of, going on with that yeah i just know it's there so um yeah basics we're pretty full up we've got stuff coming out near enough every month now for a good few months so um we've recently started a mix series as well which goes on youtube every month um which is doing people seem to like that because that's something we never really took part in much was the mix side of things so yeah we're doing that now um depending on when this comes out we've got an ep out next from today next friday so that would be the 11th yeah um that's an ep from single purpose okay um, yeah yeah we'll it'll probably already be out by then yeah 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 i've done that yeah mm-hmm. cool well listen uh listen man this has been a pleasure again thanks uh thanks a lot for coming on this first episode it's been really nice uh of you coming on uh and giving the podcast a chance um so hopefully a lot of other episodes coming and uh all the best for basics your family life, Echo Motion, the podcast, all the stuff you have going on. <laughs> all of it. No, yeah, thank you very much. I do I do appreciate the chance from my side as well. And, you know, definitely I think there's not enough podcasts like this out there. So, you know, when you said you were starting one, I'm more than happy to come on and chat the, uh, chat the scene. So, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Bye.